My name is Roman Fusco. I'm here with Michael J. Flores. What? What's up? Oh, you're actually here with Roman Fusco. Yep. I'm Michael J. Flores. Sorry, I was fooled. We are on the streets of New York City. It is Wednesday night, and we were just chilling. Where were we chilling, Roman Fusco? We were at a movie club. Where's that held? At John Finkel's apartment. Oh, my God. We're at Superstar Magic the Gathering player Goat John Finkel's house. We were. So we have been for many times. Many times. (laughs) So this is the triumphant, if brief, return of the Ancestral Recall podcast. Yeah. Roman is back in town, back in the tizzy. He just wanted to, like, come by New York City, buzz down to Richmond, almost win the Open. Sorry, bud. Yeah, it was close. And uh, record two episodes of the Ancestral Recall podcast before heading back to La La Land, so... Yeah, for context, I don't know if we ever talked about this, but I moved to Los Angeles for, for work and have been working out there for um, a year doing post-production uh, sound and also battling in the L.A. magic community and making myself known. So, if you were wondering, like, our Twitter fans have been wondering why there hasn't been an Ancestor Recall podcast, that's because Roman abandoned me last August. You moved to La La Land, um, left me without. Actually, it's not even fair to say he left me without like a protege. He asked me if I, uh, he was my favorite protege of all time, and I said, of course, no. But I had I had an, an upcoming protege, which was going to be Bella, but <laughs> then she <laughs> she decided she wasn't going to play anymore. Oh my god. <laughs> so anyway, so he left me without a protege and without an ancestor recall podcast partner. What will I ever do? I have no other podcast partners. <laughs> None. Okay. Anyway, so that's what we're going to do. Roman's here. Going to be GTs. We are walking to Tish right now. Right. T- Tish is the actual episode. Yes. An article. So we're going to do a real episode of the Ancestral Recall podcast, which is our, our normal format of reading a classic article of Magic the Gathering. But I thought it'd be fun to do this on the way because the one that we're going to do when we get to Tish is going to be. It's going to be a victory by me, who was actually by special request on Twitter last week. We're going to do that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll find out what it is when, I guess, the next episode is posted. <laughs> um, but I actually wanted to focus on Roman, which is because he kicked butt last weekend in Richmond. We could just do like an AMA. I'm going to imagine the questions that y'all Canadians are asking, and I'm just going to ask them. Okay. So, Roman, to start off with... Um, what was our conversation we had, like, right at the beginning of the tournament? Uh, okay. So, you would, uh, want, you'd want me to play this red-black aggro deck. Which was gas. Yes. And was I correct about red decks being gas in the format? Yeah, as they always are at the start of a format. <laughs> yeah, good observation. Um, but I told you I was playing Esper Hero on the phone right before the tournament started, and you said, um, congratulations on qualifying for Star City Games Classic on, on Sunday. I mean, to be fair, like, my deck might, like, didn't look exactly like um, the decks that made the top four. Because also, you know, I had a second color, uh, which was black. But it did have, like, a lot of the cool elements that people were playing, right? So people were playing uh, triple main deck uh, risk factor or Chandra. Right. Had both! (laughs) (laughs) That's true. The top two decks, one had risk factor main, one had Chandra main, right? Yeah, I had both. Yeah. But I cut all, like, the... Like the Viashino Pyromancers, and all the cards are actually atrocious in the mirror. Like, all the guys just died at Chain Whirler when you're on the draw. Mm-hmm. Cut all that jazz. 
Anyway. Anyway. So I said, you are going to be qualified for the Star City Games Classic on Sunday. Uh, and then Saturday night I called you and I said I was 8-1. and 8-1! So you won the Open, right? No, I didn't. <laughs> So against the day two meta game. So what did you do on day day one? What were your opponents? Run 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 it through. All right. So I was on Esper Hero. Um, my my day one opponents were I beat Gruel, I beat Red, uh, I beat. Was the red deck good or was it poops? It was. It, I think his draws were poops, but his deck was also poops. Um, I beat. <laughs> How do you differentiate between a good red deck and a poops red deck? Well, say so I, I beat. I, 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 uh, I so I beat that guy and I played against William Pulliam, who won the open later on in day two. His deck had four Chandra. My opponent Yo, round, Chandra's guess. round two did not have agree, four Chandra. Agree, Chandra's guess. Chandra's pretty guess. Um, okay, so I beat. Is it Drake's? I beat. Who uh, plays Drakes even? Even I don't or play. Or is Drakes. it Phoenix? Sorry. Oh, it's a Phoenix. That's that's worse than Drakes. Yeah, my I had Narsa in play, and my opponent tried to resolve oh, a Charter Course. Oh boy. It's not did not end yeah, up well. Wow. <laughs> um, I beat Caleb Schur in the feature match area round four. He was on Nexus. Simic Nexus. Yeah. I beat, so let's talk about this matchup for a second. Yeah. So you were playing Esper Hero, and I think like one of the key interactions of your deck might just be like second turn Hero of Precinct One, which is just like a a white grizzly bears on turn two, right? Right. But on turn three, if you slam down, let's say, three cast it costs a fairy time raveler, which is an Azorius colored card, a multicolored blue and white card, you yeah. get a guy. But the problem for the Simic Nexus deck is if they don't deal with that Teferi at some point. They can't go off. They can't, yeah, like so they can't they were they can, but it will take them some time. Right, right, and the Teferi is a super good tempo play of just like bouncing there as Kanta, right, and then you, you you just want to buy time so you can start hitting your Thief of Sandies and applying a lot of pressure, you know, so that you, you stop from going off. Yeah, so you're you're just getting them right, right, and then like they. So the thing is, because Teferi Time Raveler says that you can only play spells during your sorcery speed phase, right? There's no yeah. way for them to really gain advantage with their Wilderness Reclamation. Like, exactly. They can use it, for example, for like a free untap for their Ascanta if that's already been flipped. Or if they've got something like, like a Growth Chamber Guardian, they could activate it at that point. But they can't do any like the real nonsense stuff. Like, exactly. Like and cast like a giant expansion explosion or, or like go off with... Um, their time walk on on end step and yeah. oh, like that. And one thing I want to note too is that uh, I was looking at my matchups and what games I won out of you know they went to three. You won a lot of game ones. No, I lost a lot of game ones. Oh really? I think my my deck got really really good after cyborg because I had a lot of versatile cyborg cards like Dovin's Vito and D Spark. So post board against Nexus, all my cards are just really good against them. So okay, that's in the Nexus matchup. I have to right. say, I heart you, Roman. I was cheering for you the whole time. I thought your sideboard was pretty weak. Personally. I agree. I think the entire tournament, what I, I kept telling myself was I was trying to figure out, like, you know, if I had lost, if I, if I, if I could pick up a loss, I was trying to figure out what could I have done better, what could I have, like, how could I have built my deck better. Um, and the big thing I, I found out was, uh, yeah, my cyborg could have been a lot stronger. I should have had more cards for, for creature matchups because... Well, two observations I would have made, right? One, you had good some good cards. Narset is a dominating card in some matchups. Jace, Time Raveler, is a dominating card in some matchups. I would argue Narset's actually not particularly good in your deck. And that, you know, that was like a, kind of a soft one-of in that. I mean, I think I'd right. rather have a, a fourth Teferi. But besides the point, the thing that I... Two, two observations I made. I thought your sideboard was really, really, really soft to red. Right? Like, right. if I were playing that deck, I would have had... 
way more than one copy of Oath of Kaya. I think Oath of Kaya is a that card uh, outstanding me a lot. card against. Rune. Yeah. So so the list was from uh, Andrei Strotsky's uh, arena stream he was doing on that whatever Friday it was, and then. I, I had swapped, actually, a second Enter the God Eternals from the board for the first Oath of Kaya. And the Oath of Kaya was amazing. The Oath of Kaya won me, like, a very tight match for Sred and, like, really pulled me ahead in some you, you had Oath of, you, I'm sorry, you had Enter the God Eternals in your main deck also, right? I had two main and one in the board. So I like that card, like, in the abstract, but I don't think it's that great in your deck for a couple of reasons. Um, like, you already have other high-leverage gold cards you could be playing. Um, I don't know how, how advantageous either the 4-4 body or the or the life gain is in the context of your deck versus some other stuff you could be playing, but yeah. I really dislike it as a sideboard card. It's too expensive. I agree, and I, I think one thing I noted from the tournament was that um, a lot of the older decks did not do well in that in that open. Like there was no, there was like barely any Sultai in day two. There was there were no Drakes. There was no Gruul. Right. It was all Nexus and Esper decks, um, and Red. Those are like the three big archetypes, right? If you look at the the um, the final standings and all the, all the deck lists. Uh, I think that your deck could be optimized so that it'd be positive win expectation against red. But I think like agreed. I think like you're not likely to win more than sixty percent. Right. I, 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 I went three and two in my red matchups. My losses were to William and to Ben Star. So, um, but like some, but for example, like some games, I felt very far ahead. Like I, I had a game where I think I like I like erasured into Seraph of the Scales into Soren, and the game ended on the spot. Like how, was, like, how was Seraph of the Scales? I thought that card was. Eh. It's okay. I mean, I, so here's where I like that card. Um, it was it was very good versus red in that it was, I just like chump sometimes against Rakinley Phoenix and the tokens block pretty profitably. Obviously, you can get into bad situations versus Chain Whirler, but I think overall it like it did a lot of work. Like, do you think it's better than just Bellhaunt? Or do you think Bellhaunt's too hard to cast? I think Bellhaunt is pretty hard to cast. But here's what I, I also like that every land in your deck taps for Bellhaunt. Um, Right, but also that Seraph... Like, literally every every land. Yes. I, I think Seraph has um, Resilience versus Esper, for example. Because they're, they're lower on, like, as Cantas and... Or, sorry, not as Canta. Lower on, like, Contempts and stuff. And, you know, the, the, the Wrath doesn't... Is not a clean answer to it. Um, I can see that. I, I think... I think that the, the really the glaring thing that I identified about your deck, which I again I thought I, I just bought your whole deck like after we were talking and it was like six hundred dollars or something, <laughs> right? So like I just like stone bought all because I didn't own any previous Teferis, so that was like a full on. I just bought the full four Teferis even though we only played two, right? Yeah. I'm like I figure I'll need these at some point, right? Right. So the. The comment that I made, and I hate it, I, I just feel like I jinxed you. I was just like, your deck has no weapons whatsoever against go-wide strategies. You had like all of one time wipe in your sideboard, right? Yeah, I, I had one time wipe. And so like you got housed by Celesnia when playing for top eight? Yeah, I had a really interesting game one where I was able to, I, I was on the play, and I resolved to... Uh, two hero precinct ones, and always cast a multicolored spell from from then on. And um, oh, you just tempoed him then. Yeah, like like Zach, uh, Zachary, like he tried to build up a bunch of like Saperlines, and I deputied all of them. I had like Soren, like get you know. I, I, I oh, you must have been feeling great at that point. Oh yeah, of course. But I was still like pretty worried. Like I didn't have a lot of stuff to bring in, and and yeah, I think you had one time wipe in your side. Right? I think his his draws 
on average were like were pretty good versus my deck. Like well, he, he never even drew. You told me he never even drew March of the Multitudes. Right, no, that's he, his best card against the, you. The way that he attacked me was by various threats. Like he had, I had a situation in game two where I was like missing a land drop, and I was gonna, I was trying to resolve a time wipe versus board, but then he had Johnny in play, and then. You know, my, my plan just didn't even work, and he was able to over overwhelm me. And then I think game three, he pressured me a lot with a Gideon black black blade that I couldn't really remove. Um, and then he just like you know. Do you have like any way to remove it at all? Like you can't despark that card. No, I, I had a I had a contempt. Um, but I was I think I think I could have won game two or three if I had a draw that was like me on the play going like duress erasure into thief, like something where I like was able to remove his first powerful play and then apply pressure in some in some fashion but i don't think my draws like really came together but his, but the, the thing is like it's not about like me getting unlucky it's that his deck is just like really um really prepared to beat my deck like it has like i think his deck just lines up really well against yours because exactly you have yeah. very few legitimate ways to fight gideon Right. right. Like, Gideon just beats up most of your stuff in combat, right? Right, and he, he's, he's putting a lot of pressure on me with, like, cards like History of Benalia, and I can't really cobble together draws to fight that. That's the problem. The thing I thought about, because I played your deck a lot, and just, just full transparency for, you know, our many beloved Canadian listeners, is, like, I don't think I lost a single match playing your deck. Yeah. It was, like, actually, I, I like, it, not only did I, I've won a little bit more than playing my deck. Like my deck, I also had, like I, I called you earlier in the week. I'm like, I think I have to play this red black deck. Like everything's easy for me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was easy, but like your deck really seemed like life on easy mode. Right. But the, the thing that I, I kept coming back to this conclusion, which was like, if this were just like a Esper control deck instead of a hero deck, I thought that the deck would be better because I felt like a lot of the individual card choices were just bent around having hero in your deck. Right. And they just like made the deck worse, right? Like like wouldn't you want it to have had like more narsets or like I mean potentially, yeah. Like I think I, it, it's interesting because sometimes I had matches where like the Nexus player would like really draw ahead and the my hero I I, I had a match against Nexus where like my game won I, I, I think I surely would have lost if I hadn't had drawn a hero because like my hero just like put a bunch of pressure on them and then I had like some removal spells to like put them put them off like reclamation and I was I, I think I killed them one turn before they went off. They, they were like sure to go off. Well, but if you had been playing like control version, you might have had like a permission spell or something though. So yeah. I mean I don't think it's hundred percent fair to make that comparison. No, sure. Um, um I, I don't know. Like I, I think that there, there are definitely times where you're on the play where hero is like is just perfect, right? Like you put a ton of pressure, it just spirals out of control, and if your opponent can't deal with it right on the spot, then they have to like start dealing with the cards you're like you're pressuring them with, like, you know, like it's like it's a fairy, like thief of sanity, and while you're doing that, you know, they don't have time to answer the hero going off of the tokens. So I thought that the deck was kind of comparable to early at the beginning of last format, Wyatt Darby posted a kind of a multi, multi-colored hero deck. I mean, he, his, his card choices were, I think, a little less extreme well, than some I of think, your card so choices. I think back then, uh, my, my good friend Hunter Cochran, who's, who's friends with Wyatt, was like, I think me and Wyatt just made this deck for like the memes. It's just kind of fun. Like, I don't know if we think it's actually any good. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking about this deck, which is like, well, that's why I was worried about playing this deck, because I was like, oh, oh no, am I playing like the meme deck? Like, am I, is this deck like, actually just like a pile? Well, I was thinking like, <laughs> just as an example, what if for sake of argument, instead of having 
Cure of Precincts 1. I mean, obviously, you'd have to make some other changes, right? Because right. you're not a creature deck anymore. You just had, like, um, you just played Sahili, right? So Sahili is only cosmetically a red card. You could just play with blue mana if you wanted. Like, isn't the idea of going, like, third turn Sahili and then, like, fourth turn Teferi Opt? Doesn't that seem pretty good to you? That right? Like, good, yeah. Like, you bounce their thing, whatever it is, with the Teferi and have... And have two, two defensive tokens in play. I, I I feel like you can't even lose if you're like in a lot of matchups if you're in that spot. I, I think why people play hero and maybe why you know I was able to win some matches just because of like how powerful that card is on turn two on the play. You know if you're playing the problem is then your deck is just like kind of waterlogged with a bunch of three drops and I think maybe the mana efficiency is pretty important there. Yeah, but I mean if you're playing this like this version that I'm just speculating, right? right. Like, you can just have, like, first of all, your deck only had two copies of Discovery Dispersal, which is, I I don't know, like, that card seems too good to not play four copies, especially if I'm playing a Hero of Precinct four, one deck. Heroes. Like, the problem is, like, that, that card just doesn't apply a lot of pressure. It only applies pressure if you have a, a Hero in play. Yeah, but the problem is your deck doesn't apply pressure anyway unless you have a Hero in play. You have to go on another dimension. Like, but in your deck, like, a Teferi is a threat, right? So, well, yeah, like, what, what happened with there are just games I had where, like, I just, like, thought of them to Thief and then Thief won me the game. You're, yeah, or, like, you were telling me about a lot of situations where your board is just, like, four different Planeswalkers, right? Yeah, yeah my match versus BBD, I, we had, like, a, a game three where, like, we were fighting with, like... Thought Erasures and who was going to resolve their Thief of Sanity, and then my Thief ended up just like hitting him once, and then I, I snowballed an advantage where I was able to resolve multiple Planeswalkers while he was struggling to beat my, my first, you know, after my Thief had hit him, he was trying to deal with my Thief while I had a window to just start resolving planes with like threat after threat. I mean, a lot of the time you hit somebody with a Thief the first time, they're, they're just it, right? Exactly, yeah. Um, but I think a lot of, like, I think what's good about the Esper Hero deck, even if you don't play Hero, you have a lot of diverse threats. Like, you're, I think, uh, one card that really, the card that really impressed me was Soren, uh, the Vengeful Bloodlord, I think that's yeah. the name. Um, cause Just because you're rebuying Thief with it, right? Exactly. So, well, the, the thing is, like, it, it has a, it plays a huge role in different matchups. Against Red, if I have, a, like, a Seraphim play or something, then all my creatures have lifelink. I'm, I'm making a huge swing, life swing, each turn, while, um... You know, plusing it to the to ping for an extra for lifelink damage, that's an extra two life, and then the Soren is at a high loyalty, so they have to start attacking it and applying pressure to it. So in the red matchup, the Soren's great if you already have a creature in play because um, you can you can just start you know pressuring their life total and, and then you put yourself in a safe spot so you, don't, you just don't die at the top of their deck. But against like control, for example, the Soren can like as a clean buyback to just your thief. And it leaves the Planeswalker still in play. The plus two is so huge because it doesn't take multiple turns to, to start like putting creatures back into play. You can like put a, play a Soren, get one back immediately, next turn plus, and then get back your hero or something. I was actually playing your deck, finding some great action with the Soren, just like picking off people's Planeswalkers. So exactly. A lot of people yeah, are yeah, playing yeah. It finishes off that, like a Narset. It finishes that, off. They only have one, you know. Right, right, right. It finishes off a Narset. It finishes <clears> off like it's a Fairy Minus. You know, a five, a, sorry, a Hero of Dominaria or a Hero, you know, or a Time Yeah, yeah whatever. They both minus to one. Actually, one of the things I found to be like I kept getting this wrong. I would deck was good enough that it kept getting me out of it, but I just was not intuitively good at these new cards, etc. Mm. Is I kept thinking in my head that Teferi Time Raveler is just an end of the Royal with Kicker, but it can't bounce a Planeswalker. 
No, that's the only thing I can't. So bounce. yeah, I mean, I kept on like, oh, I'm just gonna like bounce their Narset here, and then it, I was it, just like, so then instead I wasn't. And... It does do some really cool stuff. Like you could bounce back your own deputy detention if you want to do something else with it. You can bounce back your own oath of Kaya. Oh, that's great. Yeah, right. It has a bunch of. It's not like it's not just your opponent's cards. That's what I thought it said at first, but no, you can bounce your own stuff too. You know, uh, so you can bounce like if you, if you like. Probably could like plus your own to fairy hero, bounce it, play it again, draw an extra card, untap four. You know, you're it seems like a good deal for a good deal to me. Oh, I think that I, I'm confident that that's the best card in standard. Literally? Yes. I, I think I either texted you or I forget who I texted, but after the first two rounds, I was like blown away. I did really unfair things. Like, you know, round one, I played against Rule. I got to enter the God Turtles at instant speed. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> you gotta be a little bit wary of how often you're doing something that's just, that you just get a, you get a blowout on somebody so you feel a certain way. And right. like, dude, feelings and facts are two different things. No, right? sure, but like, you know, my, my first three rounds, I like, Teferi did something really good in each of those rounds, right? Like, uh, I was able to, yeah, so Ender God turns on instant speed, round one against red, round two, I was able to, to draw step Thought Erasure, their, their only card, um, and they couldn't do it, they can't respond. Oh, I got a DC off of that. <laughs> I was playing against so it was, I was playing against Boros Hero. By the way, I think Boros Hero is an atrocious matchup for your deck. For my Her, deck, yeah. Yeah, Hero I, Precinct I, I One is it. insane against you, yeah. right? So I'm sorry, not Hero Precinct One. Um, uh, ten, the, tenth Rhystic Legionnaire. The, yeah, the, the Boros Two. Oh my yeah. God, that guy is I, unbelievable against I you. I sat next to uh, a Jeskai version of that deck, and I was like, Whew. you know, like I think. But I, well, I think in the, in the tournament, like those kind of random decks and all the older ones, got like severely picked off by either like Esper, or I don't know what else was being them, or Red, right? So I'm playing against this guy. He's this like early Arcanist, you know. I'm just trying to plot the out my three. turns. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, so I play my, I play my Teferi, bounces Arcanist, because I'm like, I can't let him have the Arcanist. Doesn't have an attack yet, right? Because mm. like I figure like, look, next turn if he's just like plays a two drop another two drop and then he's just like you know sam it's sprint get in for a hundred right mm-hmm. have two attackers or you know gird or something like that so i bounce it so i now have a one toughness or one loyalty rather to fairy he plays he plays tentrisic legionnaire kills my guy right mm-hmm. uh and then so um so then i play like uh my hero and then like have a I think probably like a Tyrant Scorn, like on turn four. <laughs> and then I play Teferi and then get like another bounce up. So I have like multiple tokens. And then, so like my hero like has stuck around for two turns now. So I'm yeah. like, he obviously doesn't have a removal spell. And um, so I'm just like trying to figure out how I'm like gonna play around his, play around his uh, Arcanist. Cause I've just, you know, bounced his Arcanist a second time. And so then on his upkeep, I cast Thought Erasure. Not upkeep, sorry. Uh, his draw step. I cast Thought Erasure, and he just drew the deal four, deal two, which is the, the most awesome card. Reckless Rage. Yeah, yeah, that card is insane in that it's deck. really good in that deck. And so it's an instant, but he can't cast it because, <laughs> it's, a because it's a fairy. That was an instantaneous DC. I mean, I'd actually already won game one, so I think he was like, yeah, game's pretty, over. Pretty unhappy with that. Um, um, I I definitely think that like I, a lot of times in that tournament, I played to fairy time raveler, yeah. and my opponents were visibly frustrated. Like I played against 
I remember playing against like Zach Allen, who I was staying with for that tournament in uh, the first round of day two. I just remember like one time I was to resolve the fairies, like, yep, you know, he was, you know, it was just like a climb for him to like, we had to get, he had to get rid of that card, he can't do anything. Like, the, while that well, the fairies- Well, his deck has a lot more reactive spells than Exactly, yours. and once that's a fairies in play, he has to just spend a, I, I can just draw a card and now he has to spend a whole card on it. Like, so, or something. if you look at like, just that heads up matchup between like, reactive Esper and proactive and, and hero Esper, like, your Narset and your Teferi are way better oh, for than sure. his, right? Because, like, <clears throat> you don't have a lot of ways to draw an extra card that just, like, says draw an extra card, right? Other than other than from Teferi, which if you needed to, you could just bounce the Narset, right? And that would unlock the Narset ability. And you know what's great about that matchup, too? It's so hard for them to, like, profitably uh, remove a Thief of Sanity. Like, Zach had to bring in... My other Esper opponent did this too. They both brought in Cry the Carnarium. Just to kill Thief? Right. Because, or, you know, or Hero, you know. But I don't think Hero's even that good. Who cares about Hero? Yeah, it's exactly. Dude. Yeah. But the Thief is what is, is that's the real problem. So, so if you connect once with Thief, it's like, it's not that it's over, over. But I mean, I connected, I connected with somebody with Thief, took his Elder Spell, and then killed two which, of his planeswalkers and made my Teferi a five. Which is like imagine when like I play a thief on three on the play, they have to untap immediately mortify it, and then I get to untap play Soren. Right? And then get the thief back. And yeah, get the thief back. And the game just like feels so over at that point. Right? It's just like you're 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 in such you're at such an advantage. Yeah, I, and that's what's so great about the 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 Esper deck, the mid range deck. Or the hero deck is that Yeah I, I do think that this deck is gonna be optimized out though. That's totally fair. Um, is this where we going? Yeah. Um, I think, while I do think that, like, uh, this deck could definitely, people can find ways to, to beat it, the problem is they just have, like, such, these, there's definitely draws you're going to have with this deck. They're just, like, Thought Erase Your Thief into Sorin or something, or Time Raveler. Yeah. And the game just, like, swings so far in your favor, you know? If, and if they're not playing, like... I think the hardest decks, even even though Nexus seems like a very good matchup, it's still like it's still tough. You still have to find the right way to maneuver through it. They still have blast zones for your three mana. All other cards are three mana, so they still have blast zones to try and fight around that, you know. But all your cards are really good post board. Hello, gentlemen. Um, Anybody has voted? Um, and so. Hey, security. All right, sorry. Uh, let's move over right here. I don't know. Send <laughs> balloons. Uh, anyway. It's like um, the Top 8 Magic Podcast. <laughs> what I was saying is, uh, I think no matter how the format progresses, I think this deck still can play a huge role because you're still a proactive deck doing, you're playing the best cards, right? You're playing Thief, you're playing Teferi Time Raveler, and you're doing proactive things. I think what was really, I, I never really, really played a deck like this in Standard before um, because I usually play reactive decks. Like I, I remember like back... You know, I haven't played a ton of standard, and back when Approach was in standard, I played at that deck the entirety of the format, right? We both played that card in that deck at an Invitational. And then from then on, I had, like, never really done well in standard with a different deck. I mean, didn't right? you, like, qualify with Golgari? Uh, no, I I lost in the finals of... I actually, like, did pretty well with Golgari during the Guilds of Ravnica standard season. And I, I, I lost in the finals of a PPTQ where I, like, messed up. What did you actually eventually qualify with? with Boros because I um, oh with, with the burn deck yeah because I lost in the final I, I top the RPTQ oh. so it re-queued me oh okay there you go <laughs> so I never actually queued through standard for the RPTQ but 
the, the point I'm trying to make is that like I, I think one thing I've been trying to do is like branch out and try more deck types where like I don't want to limit myself being good at one thing. And this deck, you know, obviously I, I probably made mistakes and I could have done better, I could have built my deck better, but I still put up a really good result and I was happy with it. And I think, you know, it, it wasn't just like, oh, I got lucky during the tournament, right? We, we talked about this, how to win a PTQ. It's not just like, I don't think I just got lucky. I think I did get lucky in some matches, obviously, but I think my deck choice was really good for the weekend. Do you, what, I, what do you think about, like, you know, you want to make you want to make some non-reactive plays on turn two, right? Like that's the thing that you want to do. That's like kind of your apprehension to to changing this into, you know, more like the Esper control deck. But like, what do you think about just like treasure map as your two drop? I'm just worried that you're like the games where you have a window to play a, a hero on two, where you're just like you know so far ahead to win, you're gonna lose out on those situations. Like I feel that way with like Dreadhorde Butcher because Dreadhorde Butcher was like really overperforming. If it, you right, the games two. the games on the play with that card where you like, can't block it's insane. But like all the games that are close that I need to draw like a you know a three or need to draw a card drawing spell or mm. something, and I draw Dreadhorde Butcher on like turn ten, it's this, it's like. Dreadhorde Butcher no attack is not... Yeah, Dreadhorde Butcher pinging for one is not ideal. Yeah, it's just not not what you need there. So, um, like, that, that's... I, I feel like you have such a wild variability in your card power, right? Like, on one hand, like, like the Esper Control deck doesn't have the level of variability between Grizzly Bears and Teferi. Right? That's true, right? right? They just... Their, their variability is, like, Teferi to Liliana. You know, right. Mortify to Ugin. You know, they're, they're not... So, my, my final word on the deck is that it's just, like, it, it's a certain play style, right? Like, this deck, will, I think, got, got me match points by being a deck that applies pressure with very powerful spells. So, uh, how many wins would you attribute to people just not knowing what your cards did? Even the, the people that even really that didn't even know what my cards did, I just thought my deck was way more powerful than theirs. It didn't really matter. Like my opponent playing is it who charred a course into my Narset. There was no way he was gonna win the game anyway, right? Like if he just even if he, I mean, wait, does he have to still discard? Yeah, he discarded a charter course. Oh my god. He, he, my opponent thought it was very funny though. So it was not as, as feel bad. You know, it was you know, it, it was it was funny. But the the thing is like even. My opponents that were like my, all my opponents like who were good knew how the how every card worked, right? Like B, uh, BVD when I had Narson to play, he played the Fairy Five and upticked it. And I went to my turn. I was like, wait, you didn't draw a card, right? And his hand is like, no. I was like, oh yeah, you're, you you know what you're doing. Like, um, why wouldn't he have buried the Narson? I don't know. I forget the situation. So the thing that's great about the three mana planeswalkers is they can't be disparked. That's the thing. Right. Like not being able to be disparked is so strong. Exactly. Because dispark is one of the best ways of interacting with planeswalkers that are already in play. Yep. Unless they're the three casting cost ones. So, I mean, Ben Stark looks like he had Tibalt in the main deck. I think everybody had Tibalt in the red decks. Yeah, I think going forward with this deck, I just want more Veracious Contempts. I want like Moment of Cravings for red. I don't know. Like, what, what's like the right answer for how to beat the red deck? You think? So. I think like it's actually more Narsets. So their advantages. So you can like dig to your your good cards. For no, their all their advantages come from Risk Factor, or if like or Ben's deck had Rixmati Reveler. Right, but like I don't think that Nar that Nars just solves a problem. You, that doesn't solve the problem if you get beaten in the face by. It literally guys. counters their best card against you. Okay, but the and other... it digs you to stuff. 
what happens if they're what happens if they play like Chandra or what happens if, you know do you, I think I think this deck just needs more versatile answers to answer all their versatile threats. Like I think I could I think I, you're in trouble if you start saying first of all if your sideboarded plan in your deck which is a three color deck with proactive cards that are contingent on being multiple colors your strategy is to bring in Moment of Craving which is an extraordinarily low powered card in a sideboarded game against them or Vraska's Contempt which is both above average difficulty to cast and does not have synergy with your deck you're already in trouble. Okay. You would want but you have to you have to come up with something, right? I would want more cards like Oath of Kaya. Sure. Rather than those what cards. What about like Belhaunt? I think Belhaunt's good. Because Belhaunt can at least like maybe pressure their, their Chandra, right? I mean if you really want to beat red, it's not hard. You bring an Oath of Kaya and you have like if you have like four Oath of Kaya and four Belhaunt in your sideboard and you draw them, you're probably gonna win. Yeah, but you can't devote that many sideboard slots to red. Why? Because you still you have you have to have enough cards like these sparks and vetoes and duresses for the, the Esper and the um, the Nexus matchup. Like the only reason. All why right, so I'm just gonna make like a, I'm just gonna make like a blanket statement, right? Why can't you go like three Oath of Chandra, four Belhaunt, or the reverse, two D Spark, two Dovins, and like you know, two versatile card advantage cards. Sure. That's enough for everybody. You don't have as dominating of certain matchups as you had right now, but you don't need all that percentage in some of those matchups. What you need is percentage against red. Sure. All right, so I'm telling you, I think like, and I actually would consider bringing the D-Sparks in against red. All, no, the, all of the red decks have like either yeah, Chandra yeah. They, they or- Phoenix, they have Frenzy I mean, or Chandra. That's a great answer to Phoenix. Exactly, and I brought in. Like, that's why I think I, I, I think I like, against Zan side in like round five, I may have lost game two, I think I like didn't board in D Spark and board in D Spark the entire rest of the tournament. I might even be cons- I might even just consider playing like four D Sparks, no Dovins. Like the the Dovins, you're countering cards like Wilderness Reclamation, right? Mm, I think the Dovins is important for like protecting Thief, which I like. I mean, I think, like but- I think I think going on turn five, like Thief and have a Dovins veto for like their their like either Teferi or Contempt or something might be important. Like, I, th- I think I think you want at least uh, a mix of, of these of these sorts of cards. So I don't think is, you slam four D spark. You can't have everything. Sure. But separately, if you're talking about matchups with Teferi's in them, I'd be real wary about bringing in permission. If there's this chance that your opponent is gonna is gonna land a Teferi three, now your permission's all dead draws. If that's what you're gonna do, I would much 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 rather play Spell Pierce. I understand that it's way worse going in certain parts, but at least you have a chance to stop them from getting you. And I don't think, like, they're just going to resolve their thing and then all your Dovins stink. Pierce just scares me because a lot of my, my games went, like, pretty grindy. It's good versus, like, the early turns where you're trying to set, like, you know, an early thief to close up the game. The only fast. thing that matters, I think, in some of these things, well, first of all, it's obviously contingent on drawing other cards, right? right. But if you can land your Teferi or Narset, or you can stop them from landing their Teferi or Narset, or you can protect your thief, all these things are revolving between turn two and four. Like, sure. Spell Pierce is super live in that spot, and then you are just super in the driver's seat, right? Yeah, like, yeah. and I feel like, I feel like if you have like, you know, six uninterrupted turns with Teferi in play or Teferi and Narset in play, because it doesn't matter that you don't have some of these other cards in your deck. Their their ability to get back in the game is going to be really really compromised. Sure. So, I would just the thing is like it's also just much better at like you know, dealing with some of their stuff in the, in the very early turns. All right, so 
Uh, we're going to go run up and do the real podcast. Yeah. Uh, hope you like this little mini-sode. Great job, Roman. Thank you. Um, you know, like I said, uh, as much trash talking I'm giving your deck, I bought the whole damn thing. And, uh, and you admitted we'll... that I was right. I don't remember that. I have it in a text. Uh, no one else read it. Goodbye. <laughs>
It was consistently in my hand when I lost to White Weenie in testing and the early going and didn't make it to the transition I talked about last week. Basically, I practiced on Apprentice for about three weeks before I started playing on Magic Online. After I got mo- oh, by the way, I had never played on Magic Online before this point. This oh, is the this is me breaking my Magic Online virginity. After I got Moto, I played Block almost every night and never lost a single match with my deck. No lies. I lost some game ones and got disconnected twice, but I never actually dropped a three game match. Which, even just in the casual play room, was very helpful in cementing my deck decision for the PTQ. Here's the version I was testing on both virtual interfaces, more or less. So Gas Mass. It's called, we, it was originally called Gas Mass. Oh, my God. All right. We have four Sensei's Divine Top, four Umezawa's Jite, four Hinder, four Hisoka's Defiance, four Kega the Tide Star, uh, four Maloku the Clouded Mirror, one Gnarled Mass, four Kodama of the North Tree, four Kodama's Reach, four Sakura Tribelder, nine Forests of an Island at Manamo, School at Water's Edge and a Borough Place in the Clouds. Palace in the Clouds. Palace in the Clouds, sorry. Okina Temple to the Grandfathers and four Tendo Ice Bridge and a sideboard of four Jushi Apprentice, two Manamo's Medellin, four Threads of Disloyalty, three Gnarled Masks, two Wear Away. My design philosophy in general is when you play a deck like this, you want to play for maximum redundancy. This is the tricks of the format. You have the best late game of any deck and the counters to stop gifts ungiven. You only lose when your draw is inconsistent. So minimize those inconsistent draws. If you are losing to Black Hand or White Weenie primarily when you are on the wrong end of Umazawa's Jete, advantage. The answer can't be to play only three Jetes like some lists. I found Hisoka's Defiance to be so insane in every matchup it seemed foolhardy not to run all four main. The weirdest card in the deck, and the most impressive innovation, if I do say so myself, is Gnarled Mass. The blue-green deck is not particularly sound against either White Weenie or Black Hand fundamentally. Both of those opposing decks has better early game drops and can retain enough tempo, either via evasion or mind or sorry, or mid-game spiritcraft to beat the blue-green deck's bombs if it hasn't stabilized. Therefore, the goal has to be to take that early game tempo away. Gnarled Mass is basically better than every drop in either Black Hand or White Weenie. Black Hand is happy to play essentially the same cards as Gnarled Mass, but infinitely worse versions, while White Weenie has two two creatures at one, two, three, and four drops. Surely a three three creature for three is going to be good against them, even if all it is doing is containing a Bushido two drop. Gnarled Mass is actually great in every matchup, and I wish I played more main. I also chose to play two Wearaways instead of the three Rending Vines I had in the earliest version of the deck. Basically, I dislike having defensive cards in an aggressive deck at all. I would never sideboard in Wearaway against a deck just to fight Jite advantage. Case in point, I played against a white weenie who brought in Tarashi's Grasp and died with two copies in his hand. The reason I picked Wearaway is that there are some weird cards like Honden of Seeing Winds that cost a lot of mana. I just can't ensure that I can Rending Vine some of those cards. Moreover, I should have to play against a weird deck like Enduring Ideal, where Away would let me break every late-game Kodama's Reach and even Consuming Vortex to outlast the enchantments going long. Prior to the tournament, Josh Rabbits pointed out that Isao and Lighten Bushi at the same drop at Gnarled Mass can successfully fight Kodama. 
If all I really want to do is trade in the early game, Isao is just as good. You just can't be too attached to keeping your men alive. Isao is infinitely worse when you're on the wrong end of a Jite fight, but he's so much better with threads of disloyalty after boards that the change just had to be made. You get to steal and regenerate the other guy's hand of cruelty, or samurai the pale curtain, in case you didn't figure that out. At the actual tournament, I changed the deck a little bit. All right, so critical mass, first place at Pro Tour Qualifier, uh, 828-2005, okay. Four Sakura Tribelder, one Asao and Lanbushi, four Keg of the Tidestar, four Kadama of the North Tree, four Moloku of the, the Clouded Mirror, uh, four Divine Top, four Hinder, four Hisoka's Defiance, four Umezawa's Jite, four Kodama's Reach, nine Forest, seven Island, four Tendo Ice Bridge, one Minamo School at Water's Edge, one Abora Palace in the Clouds, one Okina Temple of the Grandfathers, Cyborg is two Gnarled Mass, four Jushi Apprentice, four Threads of Disloyalty, two Consuming Vortex, one Monomo's Meddling, and two Wearaway. So I guess I basically changed, like, the the Gnarled Mass in the main deck to an Isao and continued mm. to maintain that my deck was a, 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 was a Gnarled Mass deck <laughs> after indicating that I wish I played more copies in the main deck. That's what I did. First place. <laughs> Number one. All right. Sean McEwen suggested the name change at the PTQ, and I thought this was cooler than gas mass, so I'm keeping Sean's name here. Before the PTQ and the Grand Prix, Josh played gas mass in a Moto 8-man and lost to Deck X in the finals. I figured I wanted a little more oomph against a Cory Dust Drinker and added Consuming Vortex. I was only siding Minamo's meddling in against Gifts Ungiven, a matchup I was never losing so I figured I had a little percentage to give. This turned out right because the lone remaining Manamo's meddling ended up the only card I never sided during the tournament. Somehow, some way, I won a PTQ having never faced Gifts Ungiven, the most popular deck and the best deck in the format, which also happens to be my best matchup. So much for the rogue choice in the established metagame. That's actually happened to me multiple times where I play like an anti-deck and I just never play against the deck to beat, but then I still win the PTQ. That's that's more. That's, that's kind of funny, though, right? Hilarious. Like, imagine you play like an anti-red deck, and you like only played against like Golgari all day. It's like at GPLA when I I was like, I'm not going to play against. Well, it's kind of the opposite. I don't want to play against Dredge. I'm like, no, I'm not going to play against it, even though it's like really popular. My two losses in the tournament. <laughs> no, it's the opposite of that. It's like literally the opposite of that. Yeah. The matchups I tested almost exclusively against Gifts Ungiven and White Winnie on Apprentice with a little black hand thrown in. I figured they were the extremes of the metagame and the two best decks to boot. Once I started testing on Modo, I played against a greater variety of decks, if you count Mono Blue Control every night. Gifts Ungiven. So just as as a principle, this is a thing I used to do a lot. So um, I used to just like pick like what I thought were the pillars of the format. And then I would just like load up two apprentice screens and I would just play both sides. But I would only play against like two or three different decks and I would never test against other decks. So in this case, like Gifts Ungiven is just like combo, like mid range yeah, yeah. progressive combo deck. And then White Weenie is like the fastest beatdown deck in the format. I figured like if I could beat both of those decks, then any deck that led in between them, I was just automatically going to beat. That was like, that was just the strategy I had going into this because the card pool is fairly limited. Mm hmm. So, I don't know. I don't do that anymore because now I'm lazy because they give you, like, Arena and Moto to test on so you can test against human opponents. But it was—I actually think I was, I was always better at making decks when I just played against myself. 
a, a lot of like high level like pro tour champions that's how they test i don't know if you knew that yeah. but I, I used to do this a lot <laughs> anyway this matchup is pretty much a buy in game one you get any clock with umazawa's jite or any legend and you pretty much win from there with your tops you have much more control than gifts can hope for because you have eight counters starting and they have precious few threats I experimented with a variety of strategies, including letting gifts on given resolve, burying all the reanimation cards, and just countering the Hanakami. It didn't matter what I did. I always won. If you counter Kodama's reach with Hisoka's defiance or simply stop gifts on given itself from resolving, that can be pretty effective. But you want to make sure you can prevent recursion late game because your primary threats are better than gifts on given's late game as long as they aren't going off. This is just, like, I have eight counters main deck, and they just have, like, three mm-hmm. dragons. Like, it doesn't matter, like, what... Like, they have, like, infinite card advantage or whatever. They actually can't kill you. That was the... That's kind of the principle there. I cited out one Kiga, one Gnarled Mass, and all the GTAs for Juicy Apprentice and Minamo's meddling. Both only one meddling in the Critical Mass version. I think I'd leave Asao, the Mass Proxy. Steve Saden actually cited in his extra masses in this matchup, saying they were better than Kiga. I'm not sure if he's right. Not because if you win no matter what you do, it's really difficult to figure out the optimal sideboard strategy. Incidentally, I actually can't imagine why other blue-green players didn't figure out Jushi Apprentice. It's just too much for Gifts Ungiven or any slow deck. Maga, Mono Blue, etc. With Jushi Apprentice down, you basically have all the advantages of Mono Blue control, but much better mana and threat development. Moving on to White Weenie. This matchup might favor White Weenie slightly in Game 1 but it depends on if they have Hakori. If they don't, they aren't going to win. If they do, it's a shootout. So do you know what Hakori is? It's Winter Orb. It's That's a, Winter Orb. Yeah, 2-2 yeah, yeah. two, two Winter Orb. Game 1 is an attrition fight, which revolves around your stabilizing the early game and then advancing to one of your bomb 5 drops. Kodama of the North Tree is very good against White Weenie, and Maloku is usually game over for them. Through GT Advantage, a Dust Drinker, or you're having any tiny uh, lift total can change this. Sideboarded games are all about Hikori. If they don't have Hikori, they will win either because you are mana screwed or you block wrong. There is no way White Weenie should win against four threads of disloyalty and multiple gnarled masses unless you screw up. Incidentally, my only loss of the tournament was to White Weenie when I was up a game. I pulled a Brian Davis and scored a 3-0 loss, basically blocking an Isamaru over a pale curtain with my Kodama once, which allowed him to play a second Isamaru to set up perfect lethal damage two turns later and not realizing he could pump two different creatures with his Jite once. Holy two-mana, Batman. Both of my losses involved overcommitting with Maloku by exactly one illusion when I should have won otherwise. So, like, I blocked his Samaru, and then he had a second he, one. He had a second one. So, like, yeah. if I just blocked the other guy, then he would have yeah, And I would have won on two, right. right? So that was just terrible. Like I said, you block wrong. Just, you know, classic making a mistake against beatdown. I mixed up my sideboarding strategy a lot based on the opponent's specific configuration, sometimes bringing in both wearaways if I saw a promise of Boon Ray and tons of equipment. The main swap was two Sensei's Divining Tops, two Kodama's Reaches, and all of the Hinders for two Consuming Vortexes, four Threads of Disloyalty, and two Gnarled Masses. I also sometimes shaved Kodama of the North Tree and up to all four Kigas. If I were in the play, I'd be more likely to leave Kodama's Reach and if I knew I were playing against Pithing Needle, I would most likely cut the two tops. Black Hand. This is basically White Weenie, but without a quarry. 
I was leaving Hisoka's Defiance in a lot because of Sink into the Takanuma, but permission isn't really that great unless they have a slow opening draw. Usually, Black Hand will only beat you with Fear or GTA Advantage. All of your cards are simply better than all of theirs. After boards, they have no Blessed Breath, Kami of Ancient Law, or Otherworldly Journey to match your Threads of Disloyalty, which means that if you take a Hand of Cruelty, you turn off all their usually dangerous Nozumi Cutthroats, unless they are willing to go two or even three cards down with a removal spell. My top four matchup against Black Hand was actually my most exciting match of the day. I won the first game easily. The second game, I had a Threads of Disloyalty on the draw and a couple of Tendo Ice Bridges, and lost without ever seeing an island. In the third game, I went to six and had only an Umazawa's Jite for action. My opponent, Tim Gilliam, worked me with Manriku Gusari, so I basically started two cards down on the play. Nice odds. I had Sakura Tribelder into Moloku. He killed it and smashed me with Ink Eyes, stealing my Moloku. It looked pretty bad for me. But I ran out Kiga and Isao, which slowed him down. I deuced Maloku with my own, and Tim came across with an Ogre Marauder with two Manriki Gusaris, playing sundry additional weenies on the power uh, of, of the two power for two mana variety. I just sacrificed my Isao and traded with Kiga, stealing his ink eyes. The top of my deck let me three uh threads, let, threads of disloyalty. Uh, let me threads. Wait, wait, wait. The top of my deck let me threads a hand of cruelty, so the big bad rat ninja came back at his master and traded for two more weenies. All of a sudden, it was my hand and a newly cast Kodama against nothing, and Tim made all his lands go away with enough mana to attach a Manriku Guzari. He did exactly enough damage to race me in two turns, but the top of my deck gave me consuming vortex on the last possible turn, and that was all she wrote for Arami's last gasp. Who needs top when you can rip like that? On to Mono Blue. So basically what I meant is like he sacrificed all his lands to make a 5-5 demon. He was going to kill me because I didn't have a flyer, and I had the vortex on top of my deck. Yeah. Wow, so what? I, that, my, I added the two vortex that morning. I used to have like four gnarled mass in my sideboard. We're like, what do we just added two bounce spells? Hey, it helped yeah. you out. Yeah, that was, that's how I qualified. I made it to the finals, and he was just like... You can have the slot if I can have the box. And I was just like, how quickly can I sign the slip? <laughs> Probably the matchup I tested most once Moto became part of the equation. Mono Blue may be the easiest matchup in the metagame. In game one, you can lose if the opponent gets Jushi Apprentice online before you have anything. But that's about the only way they can win. I won online a lot with just a Gnarled Mass or even Sakura Tribelder never casting anything out of my hand, never missing a land drop due to the top, until my opponent had to commit with a 5 or 6 drop. Then I'd just counter, play a real bomb, generally with counter backup. There's not really much Mono Blue can do once a real threat deck has a legend online, even less when facing another counter deck. Even though Jite is actually quite saucy against Mono Blue because all of its creatures are pathetic in size, I pull it out and shave some legends for plus 4 Juicy Apprentice plus 4 Threads of Disloyalty. Usually, the Mono Blue player loses game one with threads in his hand and sides his out, meaning you cream him with massive Juicy Apprentice advantage. You have Juicy's he can't answer, whereas with threads in your deck, you take his away. Uh, it's the only real way to win. Early game Juicy advantage. In sideboard of games, Blue-Green is basically the same deck as Mono Blue, except you have twice as much mana and better threats. This is anything but a fair fight especially if you have Sensei's Divining Top in addition to Jushi Apprentice for selection 
and they just have the kindness of the top deck. On to Mono Red. I actually got in arguments with BDM and Becker about this matchup last week. They were under the impression that Mono Red has a chance. Basically, Mono Red has no chance, if you play right. They can start damaging you seriously around turn 3. You are about a turn behind in that department, but can match or best them on damage with basically any clock. The difference is that, without Pulse of the Forge, they can't keep up with actual creatures. They run out of cards while you keep damaging with the same cards. That means that when they go for the endgame flourish, you show them the counters, and they are left with no cards in hand. After boards, when you have Gnarled Mass in your, your deck, your clock speeds up by a turn or two. Moreover, their removal isn't actually very good against Gnarled Mass. Either they blow Yamajusi's Flame, or go 1 for 2, whereas you keep advancing your mana. In the PTQ, I elected to take a 5-point Gaze of Atomaro when I could have just countered it, because I was pretty sure that my 3 cards could beat his 4 cards when I was on 15. My subsequent Kigas, North Tree, and Defiance were right. In Game 2, I went to 5 against a curve of Genju the Spires, Ishi Ishi, and Zozu, and one with like 10 life to spare. Jitae is, of course, terrible for them in any game. In case you're wondering, this is how my actual PTQ went. Round 1, White Weenie, won the first, screwed up the second, screwed up the third. Good man and fellow borrower of Tony-sized cards, he made top 4. Round 2, White Weenie, 2-0, don't remember any details. Uh, round 3, Black Hand. Game 1, he shredded me with a 2-1 fear, with a, with fear Rats. Game 2 and 3, his team were all working for Michael J, care of Threads of Disloyalty. Uh, round four, mono blue control. And there's just, okay, there's a bunch of pictures of Jushi Apprentice under a, a zombie lady of scrolls. Um, mono blue control. Game one, he actually made an error to give it to me when he was up maybe 20 cards with a zombie and all the Jushis in the world. He was on two facing my north tree. He was discarding extra cards every turn, but I had a pair of counters myself. After a long time, he brought uh, with Kega and I went to 15. He attempted to untap his dragon, not noticing that I had Manamo in play since the early game, and hence couldn't run that play. He drew five, didn't like what he saw, and I won. Game two, I just had juicy advantage per the plan. Round five versus mono red. Won the first, won the second on five cards. I greatly admire any mono red players in this format. The existence of Jite and the lack of Pulse of the Forge or any serious racing burn burn keeps even loyal mountain tappers like myself from the deck. Round 6, White Weenie. I won 2-0. In game 2, I kept Triple Defiance, Jite, and 3 lands, assuming I would draw into something. I figured you only lose to White Weenie when they have Jite advantage or multiple dust drinkers, and I had the optimal draw for dealing with that. I drew into Maloku and a top, and that was all she wrote. Round 7, ID. Top 8, Black Hand. I made an embarrassing attack in game 2 to let him have it. I won game two, or sorry, game one. I, I won game two with threads of disloyalty and ripped Umezawa's GTA on the last possible turn to keep from getting Nazumi out of the top eight in game three. How lucky. Uh, top four black hand. See the above losing my Maloku to Inkai story. Very lucky top decks in game three to win another close one. Finals black hand. The split was a very good one for me, so I have the blue envelope. We'll see how that goes. Anyway, I hope this will help those few of you sell PTQs or are heading to Mexico City. I really think that Critical Mass is the best deck in the format, 
Its only bad matchup is deck X, which I never played. And I actually think that with Consuming Vortex, the matchup can't be quite so bad any longer. Good luck and have fun. Love, Mike. Just postscript note. Gerard Fabiano played the deck and made top eight or top four of Grand Prix Mexico City, actually. So, Very nice. Yeah, so um, this was a, a, a deck. What did, did, was this article requested before I made my deck choice for Richmond? Oh, yeah, I think so. Why? I don't know. Just like it kind of remind me of like my my Richmond experience, right? Well, I didn't win, but I could have. Maybe I should have read this article before I went down there. I, I mean, some... I kind of like. I was making fun of you. Like every round, you'd like call me. And I'd be like, "Play bad, win anyway." The Roman Fusco story. <laughs> I, I mean, I made a lot of mistakes in that tournament. Not I mean, you know, I was like literally like attacking in such a way that my opponents were winning the next turn. <laughs> I just won the tournament. I mean, yeah, I definitely made some some bad plays, but my deck, my deck did bail me out. It was not a red deck that bailed me out this time, though. Yeah, but Oath of Kaya, what a card! <laughs> yeah, imagine you played more than one. I should have. I think I think if I had played more Oath of Kaya, I might have won the tournament. So that can damage any target, right? So yes. you could damage Tybalt with it. Yes, I think if you kill the Tybalt, you gain the life. I think you might. I don't know. I think so. I don't know the That's rules. That's how Rask's attempt works yeah. with Tibble. So, I mean, it seems super gas to me, considering the fact that Red is your worst matchup. Well, actually, Selesnia is your worst matchup. Selesnia is by far my worst matchup in the world. Yeah, I think you need to have some anti-go-wides. Mask Girl? You can seems buy like, it back with Sora. I mean, at some time. point, you're just like, just playing all these cards that aren't even synergistic with Hero anymore. But... Like, Massacre Girl is going to turn but, on with Okay, your... but how good is Hero against a deck with Goblin Chain Whirler? I don't know. How good is Hero? <laughs> I don't know. I think... Oh, it's so weird, right? You just play Escanta and Treasure Map and, like, yeah, Spell Pierce. Yeah, but then maybe I think you miss out on the games where, like, you have a hero for them to deal with, and then you just start going, like, Thief into Planeswalker into, like, just, like, Fairy. I used to always play Mono Red, right, in right. Standard. And then I was just like, all right, I'm going to branch out into Boros. And I was winning just as much with Boros as I was with Mono Red. And I was just like, I'm also going to learn how to play Drakes. And I never won with Drakes. And then until I was just like, I was going to play Drakes, like, in paper, right? And I was winning a lot with Drakes. And here's the thing. I think I wasn't winning with Drakes because I was, like, looking at my hand. I'm like, this is like a lava coil. This doesn't, <laughs> give, this doesn't deal damage to face. Like <laughs> Why would I play this, right? How do I use my opt in my charter course? Yeah, yeah. Like, what does this what does this do? Right? Like why would I wait until turn I four to, to play a creature? I have to set up a plan? It was like it's not even that I'd wait until turn four to play my four casting cost creature. I would play my three casting cost creature on turn four so that I could dive down, right? Like I don't even know what these cards say, right? But the reality is each deck has a plan that, you know, if you respect the plan. And you try to execute against the plan instead of forcing the, the plan that you want to have on it. That's the only way that you're going to get the best out of the deck. So if you're just like, I'm going to miss out on all the games that I had turned to hero. Well, you have turned to hero like less than 45% of the time. Right. Yeah, okay. True. So like that's like less than half the time. And like it's not even that good if you're on the draw. It's actually like pretty bad against mono red. Like you're like, it's not horrible. Like sometimes they just don't have anything and you're like, all right, I'm in. <laughs> Let's go. Um, but other times you're like, oh, wow, I really wish I had a Kai's Wrath for all these effing tokens that Green White just made that are going to swarm all my Planeswalkers and kill me in two turns. Yeah. You know, it'd be nice to have a Settle the Wreckage or something, you know? Instead, you're like, hmm, 
massacre girl. Like, it's just not even a good answer. I think it's a fine answer. You're just romantically attached to Massacre Girl. You just have like a pinup of Massacre Girl in your high oh school locker. <laughs> you're like, you're like, oh my gosh, she has so much blood smeared across her face. I love Massacre Girl. She kills with such sex appeal. Oh my god, I think that car could actually be fine in my deck though. I'm just saying, like, at some point, you're just like so far afield of the synergies from Hero. Then the question isn't whether or not Massacre Girl is potentially a good card in Esper. The question is whether or not you should be playing Hero. That's all I'm saying. Sure. Right? Like, and I think, like, I think, and I, first of all, coming as somebody who bought the heroes, <laughs> bought it all, okay, it's just not, there's not a high leverage card, mm-hmm. right? Like, in, in the games that you're going to win with hero, sometimes you win spectacularly, but I think that you're underrating the number of games where, like, you just needed a Kai's Wrath, you sure. know, like, or, I don't know, like a but then are we, Clarion so, or... So what's our deck, is our deck staying the same, or are we coming like a... A control deck where it's like more of a mid range kind of. I, I think if it were if it were me, I would I would start with what um, Chapin calls in next level deck building a non blue control deck. So I mean, there's multiple decks in this category. There's there's non blue control decks. There's board control decks. But the funny thing about non blue control decks is they're they're sometimes blue, right? So we, we, he calls them non blue control decks. Like a like a mono black control deck is an example of a non blue control deck, right? right? But I would approach this deck as a non-blue control deck, which is how do we establish kind of a fortress on the ground? Mm. How do we defend ourselves? We can make proactive plays in the early game that can defend ourselves. You know, an Augur of Bolas could do that. I mean, it's not great in your deck, right? You have a lot of um, mid-range like, planeswalkers. Yeah, yeah, things that you can't actually hit with Bolas, right? So, right. But, you know, something like that. You can make plays that will advance you defensively and consume your mana, but that your emphasis and disruption should be more in the the thought erasure category and less in the absorb category. Right. If you want to sideboard some of those cards, fine. But I, I think I would just super emphasize high levels of draw regularity. If you think your deck is the best the best deck in terms of card quality and strategy, then just make your draws the smoothest and figure out a way to resolve your cards and protect them. Rather right. than because you're like you're like schizophrenic, right? Like you're, in one hand, your deck is just like, oh, I'm going to attack. On the other hand, your guys aren't big, but they they require you to spend a lot of mana early in order to to get you know to exploit what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know it's just going in two different directions. And then you're like, oh, I'm going to massacre girl. Massacre girl is going to kill your own team. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like it's better to have massacre girl just to kill their team. Right. That's all. And she will do so with great sex appeal. She will, <laughs> she will smear all the blood on her face. It's gonna. It sounds like you have a pinup of Massacre Girl in your high school. I think a lot day. of us are gonna have pinups of attractive cosplayers as Massacre oh Girls God. starting next Halloween. We're cutting that part out. No, we're not. Carrie Dan, don't cut that out. Anyway, dear Canada. Wait, wait. So, so one last thing. Going back to the roots of this podcast, what did we learn from Gnarled Mass? Critical Mass. Critical Mass. Gnarled Mass. I don't know. That was like a freaking super I'm in love with myself article. Like, oh that's my, like yeah. way more in love that's with like myself. That's like every than... Michael J. article. No, this one was way more in love with myself. And also, sorry, I like stumbled on a lot of stuff. So we, we're in a different studio than we were using a lot when we were doing yeah. this podcast last year and the year before. And I was like literally like reading this off my phone. <laughs> 
It's like it's hard to see the text is so there, small. There are multiple spelling mistakes in the article too. Yeah, so there's a there yeah, there's a yeah, I think Star City like they There changed. was no autocorrect <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, like they like all the commas were missing, so um, well, so I, just apologies on that. Well, uh, I, I at least try to do a better job some other time. The, the good thing to take away from that article from like this is kind of interesting for me in this perspective too, like playing Esper Hero, right? Um, where you're you're making card choices on how to be like the best decks in the format, right? So like you're you're trying to identify what cards stop these plans. So what I did in this case was I kind of chunked out. I talked about two decks, but it's really three decks. I chunked out like three big. The three big divisions of the of the format. I was just like, what is this deck doing when? Right. So the most successful decks in the format were White Weenie, Gifts Ungiven, and Mono Blue Control. Right. So Gifts Ungiven, like I said, I always won. And the way that I figured it out, I was just looked at the matchup. Well, actually, I like Antonina DeRosa, who was the reigning U.S. national champion, had played Mono Blue Control in like a Grand Prix, and mm-hmm. like it was a super unusual deck choice at the time. And he, I was just like, oh, because this deck is clearly less powerful than Gifts and Given. It's just a bunch of blue cards, right? And they've got, like, you know, black cards and Mana Ramp and Sakura Tribe Elder, like, all these, and they have, like, an infinite combo. Mm. It's just like, how's this matchup? He's like, oh, you can never lose. I was like, why can you never lose? He's like, I have, like, eight counter spells, and they have, like, three dragons, right? Like, they can do all their fancy stuff, but if you stop them from doing they literally can't win. You eventually just attack them and juice your apprentice to death, right? This is, like, so similar to the Esper deck, too, right? It's against Esper. The the way they they, they win the game is, like, Teferi, Hero of Dominaria. That's, like, the one way they win. If you can stop that, you can pave a way for all your threats, like like, uh, Thief and... Yeah, so I was, like, literally, like, oh, wow. So that's that's something I took with me. I was just, like, it's not even that I had deck advantage, because I think other people playing the blue-green decks were, like, losing... They didn't understand that you just have to, like, cut them off from being able to win, and you would just win with anything, right? They eventually not going to win because you cut off all their ways to win, right? Even if they run out of cards, right, you win, okay? Right. So that was one. The other thing was White Weenie was so dangerous for Blue-Green or, like, any of these Kodama's Reach decks because, like, you cast Kodama's Reach, you tap all your mana, you put extra mana into play, and it never untaps because they just slam you with Hakori, right? So I was just like, all right. Hakori's not even a good card, right? It's a 2-2 for 4, okay? Like, that's not a dangerous card in the abstract, right? And in fact... They just have all tutus. Their whole deck is tutus. They have like Isamaru, two two for one, like Samurai the Pale Curtain, two two for two, Katsumi Blade Master, two two for three, Hakori, two two for three. So all these tutus. Like, well, what if I just play a three three? Right? <laughs> what do they do if I play a three three? Right? So I was just like, because you could not like they they were ironclad against you if you let it be that they're. Their tutus were relevant, right? Mm-hmm. So I was just like, all right, I'm not going to make any of the plays that these guys normally make, right? Like, normally they're just, like, tapping out their mana and then hope they gun tap, and then you just slam Kodama the North Tree, and then Kodama's, like, way better. It's, like, you know, infinite, infinite hexproof or whatever. Like, they can never beat it, trample. So, but you just don't get there because they Hikori you before you, because, you know, Hikori's cheaper than than Kodama, and you just, they kill you with their tutus before you ever get online. Right. You have a Kodama eventually, four turns later, if you're untapping one land at a turn, they're just smashing you for six every turn, you're gonna die, right? So it's like, alright, instead of doing all this crap that they do, I'm just gonna block, and I'm gonna play a 3-3. Three, three. And I'm like, alright, how many tutus are you gonna line up that are gonna run their deaths into my 3-3, three, three, right? That's the entire plan. So it's like, if I have this 3-3 three, three in play already, now I can make these tap-out mana things, and they can't punish me. So what are they going to do? Attack me? I'll eat their 2-2 with my 3-3, right? That was the entire plan around critical mass, right? Or around 
gnarled mass. I just had a 3-3, and their deck was all 2-2s, right? So that was that. And like I said, it wasn't the best matchup. Um, I, th- right. I think we had three-game advantage. We were slightly behind in game one. Uh, but, I mean, like, look, that match, that whole format was, like, if one guy had Jitty advantage, it was, you know, lights out a lot of the time. So, like, it's a fairy advantage. Like, I like what you're saying because yeah. this is actually so relevant to what's going on right now. Yeah, I mean, like, like it's so relevant for the tournament. Or, I just like, Narset advantage, right? Right. But, I mean, like, Jitty advantage, like, it was, like, most decks are winning with creatures. Like, right. you're just dead, right? So, right. And then the last deck was Mono Blue Control. So, I basically set up my deck so that I was the same deck as them, but I had, like, a bunch of two-for-ones. Uh-huh. And a bunch of, like, mana acceleration they didn't have. Mm-hmm. So I was just, like, so I had, like, a cheaper, like, kind of windmill slam card. So I could just get to, like, seven mana. And I just go, like, Kodama with a counter backup. I'd win. Or then I, or I would counter their their ace. Or then I just kill them with a the code. They can't kill a Kodama once it's in play. It's too big. And it's too hexproof and too trampoly. And so that was that. And then the other thing, which I thought was, like, the super, super best part about my deck was I had, like, no good... No good targets for Threads of Disloyalty, which they played four Threads of Disloyalty in their main deck. Mm. I literally just had, like, Isao, who costs too much, and then four Sakura Tribe Elders, which are terrible, right? You just sacrifice them, and they, they miss, and you get a card, right? Mm. So they would side out all their Threads, and then I would side in my Threads to take their Jushi Apprentice, and I would side in Jushi Apprentice. So I'd be like, turn to Jushi Apprentice, and they'd be like, oh... I have no way to deal with that. Their, their best play is to just play their own Jushi Apprentice, right? Mm-hmm. And then I would just Threads their Jushi Apprentice. And then they were cold. Right. Like, it's like, there's like no way they could win because I would just sit there on the Jushi Apprentices. If they made a play, I would counter it. If they didn't, I would draw a card. So I guess like tying back into me, when I played Esper this weekend, I definitely was thinking throughout the tournament, how could I have built my deck a little better? How could I have like anticipated what my opponents were doing and try to have like... It's week answers. one, dude. It's, it's no, no, no way to be perfect at this. It's I know it's not, but like with all your information now, it's like so... You know, I was not... I, every deck I played against in that tournament, I definitely expected. I expected Nexus with Tamiyo, Mono Red with, like, Chandra or some, you know, or, or Tibble, right? Yeah. Um, or, um... I was actually su- surprised at the popularity of Tibble. I didn't rate that as a super, super good card. But. Right. But I think, so going forward then, I think if I continue to play this Esper deck, I definitely want to look at, like, how do I, how do I... Uh, interact with like these popular cards. You know, what, what's like? How do I build a better plan to beat these decks? And I think that's like a really good point of this article, right? Like, yay, Michael J, nice, <laughs> nice three three. But I think the important lesson in all of this is like, how are we constructing our plans to beat other decks? Right. I think that in your case, I would want to set up my deck in such a way that I had a tempo advantage on the battlefield that was durable, or I could protect. Before entering kind of what we typically think of as the mid game, right? Mm-hmm. So, and if you had that advantage, then you're either going to be able to prevent them from gaining advantage in the mid game or forcing them into overcommitting their resources, right? Both of which are going to put you in a positive position. Then, if you already have that advantage, it could be from hero, for example, then you're going to be able to ride it. But it doesn't seem to me like other oh, Esper decks are your, your enemy. Your enemy is red or your enemy right. is Selesnia. And I think like, the solution losses the, yeah, but the tournament. your solutions to those problems are not going to be consistent with the structure of your deck as it is i right. think if you're like because you're bending your card choices around a card that's ultimately your core liability right a grizzly bears on its face is not scaring mono red and it's not scaring selesnia 
Sure. For, for those matchups, it's definitely not. Yeah, and, so, and but those are matchups that are challenging, right? right? So if you if you just want to play, I mean, I don't know, but maybe Esper becomes much more challenging when you're not a hero deck anymore. It's yeah. tough. I think I think one thing that you could just do is cut the four three angel for Basilica Bellhaunt and see what happens. Yeah, that that's totally fair. Or maybe we, we play the Bell Hunts on the board or something. All right. See what yeah. happens. Okay. Right. That was our quick two episodes. Thank you so much for listening in. I, you know, hopefully this is not the end of, this is definitely not the end of Ancestral for today. For today, it's definitely the end. We well, have two yeah, episodes. Oh, sorry, for, for today. But yeah, but it, it's not the end forever. Maybe. We'll always be. We'll always be drawing three cards. <laughs> Goodbye, Canada. Goodbye. Right.